0: Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one, Mats Velander, and Texas Longhorn all time great, two time All American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So take it away, AZ.
1: And take it away, I will welcome everybody, kickserveradio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and we're into the season now. We talked with you last after the Australian, now it's February, and the Dallas Open just concluded among other tournaments, but we want to talk Dallas Open. Of course, we're joined by the great Matt's Vlander, Johnny Levine, and we welcome Philip Farmer to the show, and Philip, you had a great year last year coaching the doubles team of Austin Krychek and Yvonne Dodig. And that success has led to more opportunities, namely the opportunity to team up with John Isner as well as the doubles team. But you were in Dallas with John this week. You guys both live there. And I know that you're very excited about that relationship. And it's already starting to bear fruit. The second tournament together, he shows up in the Dallas Open final. And my first question to you is this, what is it about the Dallas Open that always ends with some sort of an epic third set tiebreaker that involves John Isner welcome Philly. And what's the answer to that question?
2: Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, when you guys, when you got guys like him and and Riley Opelka uh, last year that won it and uh, as they call themselves the serve bots, man, it's just a lot of aces and, and uh, you know, the courts it's indoors and it's, it's great uh, conditions for these, uh, these servers and um, you know, John, it's his backyard there. He lives in Dallas and, and he loves competing there. The crowds are for him, and the energy was just insane all week, and especially uh, for that epic final. So it was just it was a, a, an incredible thing to to be a part of. A tough one to uh, for us to, to lose, but that that uh, young kid deserved it, and it was uh, incredible energy in the building.
3: Yeah, Philip, uh, Matt's here. I was watching the whole thing actually. I watched every point. What how how does John walk away from that or or? Of course, you want to win the tournament, but I mean, he's playing great. He's serving unbelievable. It looks like he's moving great. How does he take a heartbreaking loss like that, or, or it doesn't really make a big difference going forward? No,
2: that's a great question. We talked about it after. And obviously, you know, he was pretty, uh, you know, gutted afterwards that, you know, to, to have match points, several opportunities and, and for the title in his backyard. So, you know, he did a lot of good things out there. He played a kid that was, was on fire all week. You know, he beat uh, Shapolov and, um, obviously beat Taylor eight in the world the round before. So we knew he was good and, um, and, and he was, uh, was just going for it, you know, nerves of, of, of steel. And he was just, he was amazing. Like John said in his speech, unflappable. So we, we took a lot of things of John being aggressive on the big moments. Um, I liked how he was coming forward, serving and volleying, trying to return and come back in and bringing some, some of that back into his game and shorten the points uh, on his return game. So there's a lot to take from it and keep building on. Here's Johnny.
4: Phillip, give us a little um, summary of, of your thoughts about why Bing Wu, because this kid, you know, he's just, he seems so impressive and he seemed to handle himself really well for a young guy in a big moment like that. And I think we have a lot to look forward to with him and, I think he's a future top tenor. What what were your thoughts about him, and what did what did John say after the match about what he what he thinks of him?
2: Yeah, I agree, Johnny. I mean, I always look at a player and 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 uh, under those uh, circumstances, you know how they they handle the nerves. And he was extremely calm. And the other thing that's that's pretty impressive is is um, just in general, but especially in a final against a player like John. John is very very difficult to play because you get no rhythm he's acing you and the service games are 30 seconds long and all of a sudden you got to be very very accurate uh John's re- you know uh, was returning well and it was making him play and and um was getting himself into positions to try to look for the forehand to hit big so i was pretty impressed just how he not only handled his nerves but how he handled the dynamics of facing a guy like John where you like i said you just you don't have a lot of rhythm and all of a sudden you're serving, and it's not like he's blowing John off the court with a serve. So you got to really come up with, with big ground strokes, accurate ground strokes, and um, and he did it. Like I said, it was just an epic match.
1: Ultimately, it was a, ultimately it was a very skilled boxer against a big slugger, and and, and the boxer won on this day. Philip, let's talk about the doubles team that we talked about at the outset, which is which is Dodig and Krychek. But I want to talk about the Krychek half of that equation because Johnny and Matt and I at the end of the year we did question some of the decisions that were made with the Davis Cup team with regard to who played in the doubles and we felt like the United States could have advanced had had some different decisions been made than than were made and two of the names that came up were Rajiv Ram and potentially Austin Krycek. well now it turns out in this first qualifier match they've played together and done well talk about that.
2: Yeah I mean um, obviously you you have a lot of players that you know, are talented and can play doubles, you know, um, like John Isner and, and Jack Sock who won Indian Wells, um, you know, a couple of times. And um, you got, you know, guys that, um, that have had success in, in doubles um, TFO. I mean, those guys all, you know, Tommy Paul, those all, guys can all play good doubles, but you know, week in and week out when you guys, when you have guys like, like Austin Krychek and, and Rajiv Ram who are kind of in the, that dynamic of those doubles, um you know strategy and those double doubles angles and different types of points and needing a punch lob and needing to come out of eye formation and how you deal with those things. Those guys are facing that week in and week out. Um, the other thing is is you know you got guys like in an Austin and, and Rajiv that are top ten in the world in doubles. They both qualified for Turin. They're sharp um they're, they're they're playing well they had an amazing year last year and they they've played together before i mean they've they they, they have competed and, and won tournaments on the tour and they played together for for a, a, a short time a few years ago so they're very very comfortable with each other so it was it was just great to see those guys um reunite obviously for me ecstatic for my guy austin making his debut for uh the davis cup and representing the, the united states was uh an incredible feeling so Uh, excited that they got the win in doubles and that the team won. And, um, you know, Austin had a great time. It was just an amazing feeling being part of such a
1: great team.
3: Philip, sorry, um, Andy, but can I go back to John Isner for a moment?
1: Sure, you can, Mass.
3: He's 37 years old, correct? That's right. What does he tell you uh, that he wants to or needs to kind of work on, is it the, the same as before? Is he trying, it looked like he was moving unbelievably well. What, what is he, is he looking to take his tennis to the next level uh, more so than before? Or is he trying to recapture where's uh, John's mind being a little bit older and realizing how, how awful he is to play against. I'm sure wh- where is he, where's his head at in terms of uh goal setting right now? Yeah. You know, I think,
2: but, you know, John's uh, very realistic. He understands he'll be 38, uh, I believe, in April. He has um, three kids uh, under the age of four and a half. In April, he'll have his fourth child. And so, you know, for him, as we sat down, we didn't really honestly go over, which normally I do, um, a lot of performance goals of, like, at these tournaments and these wins. What we talked about is, you know, he got injured at the U.S. Open and – um you know, played one, he won a round in Paris and really hadn't played. So for him, it was just kind of getting back into that competitive mode, um, you know, feeling the love of the game and, and being on the court again. Um, and, you know, John loves the game. And um, so the first priority is just making sure his body is right and taken care of. And because if he's healthy with that serve, um, obviously that you guys witnessed, he can beat anybody on any given day. So if we can get his body right and be able to sustain that level where he's serving and then he's able to ch- take chances on returns, I still feel, and he still feels, we can make deep runs at big tournaments. And it was great to see that in Dallas. And so, you know, one of the things that you'll like that we came that we talked about and kind of came up with is, Hey, when, when, when you get off the court and and we see each other, what I want to do is be able to look at you, Phil and say, Hey, I had the right mindset. I went after it. I was aggressive on second serves. I mixed in serve and volley. Um, I was looking to play big with my forehand. And then I do what I do on my serve. And if if I had the right mentality going after it and playing to win and 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 looking to get forward, then I think I'm going to be happy regardless, win or lose. And I said, I like that because that gives yourself the best chance to win. And um and to me, you can go out there and play more free when you have that type of goal. So when he came off the court yesterday and that 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 tough, tough, tough loss, you know, he he wished he would have maybe gone a, after it a little bit more. And I thought he did a great job of it, but maybe come to the net a little bit more, maybe you know, um kind of a run around and try to hit more forehands on some of those returns. But in general, we both felt like, hey, you played to win, man. You you serve volleyed you came forward and you made him come up with the goods and you know you were a few inches short on some of those match points so um i feel like we're headed in the right direction
3: well
1: it was great having you with us philip you know last year was a good year you had a doubles team get to a a major final and to qualify for the tour championships 23 is already off to an even better start because your first kid i mean uh finn parker farmer was born what day
2: you, uh, February 6th, buddy, 147 PM. I know you've, uh, Z, we go way back. Yes, we do. I was 12 years old and, uh, you were coaching me back then. So, um, man, uh, you know, 48 and a half years old and I'm finally a dad and,
1: uh, <laughs> I'm finally an uncle.
2: That's right. It is such a blessing. And, um, um, what I will say is, um, that it is a, a love, like you just can't explain And driving uh, my I was in the hospital and John was playing the late match first round of Dallas Open. And I wasn't really planning on going. And she had had the the baby the day before. And she just looked at me about seven o'clock and he was going on around nine thirty or whatever. Um, And she said, hey, go. And I said, what do you mean? She, She goes, I want you to help him. I want you to go there and be there for him. I said, are you serious? And she's so amazing. Natalia, my wife, I mean, just. Uh, so much respect for her, and and um, she supports me so much. So I got in my car, I showered in the little hospital room, got in my car, drove down, and even John looked at me and he's like, "Man, I cannot believe you're here. Thank you so much." And and I said, "Man, I'm I'm so glad. I just didn't want to miss it." And my wife was was great, and um, I love this boy, little little boy, uh, very very much. And uh, little Finn Farmer, Finn Parker Farmer is uh, is a cool little kid, man.
1: Well, Philip, I'm going to let you go. But before I do, I just want to know that when Natalia said you go, did you get in the car and was like the Rocky music playing? Because that's like a Rocky and Adrian moment, <laughs> right? Right there like that. You lived it. Congratulations. We just can only hope that 23 continues on the way it has started. And uh, best of John, best of the boys, uh, you know, playing the doubles and uh, keep up the good work.
2: Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. You guys take care. Thank you so much. Doug. All
1: right. When we come back, we got a lot more to get to with regard to that Dallas Open. And, guys, one of the things I want to talk about is J.J. Wolf. He na- had John Isner narrowly escaped from him. That was a third set tie break as well. A couple other interesting performances. Johnny, I'm sure you've got a couple of guys that are uh, players to watch and players to watch hopefully uh, at the Arizona Tennis Classic. You're listening to kickserveradio.com part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Thank you, Philip Farmer, for joining us. We'll be right back after this. Andy Zoden here, and I am joined by Ryan Burberry and Jessica Auerkirk. Ryan is the owner, and Jessica is the marketing director for Velocity Tennis, and it's very exciting because you guys have just come out with what has to be termed as a revolutionary new product. It is the velocity catalyst string ryan it's biodegradable i mean i've never heard of biodegradable tennis string talk to me about it yeah definitely so it's the first uh, 100% biodegradable synthetic tennis string so obviously like natural gut it's made from um, kind of cow intestine so that that's biodegradable but this is the first overall arching synthetic string that's biodegradable which is revolutionary So, Jessica, Ryan talking about cow intestines is probably why you are the marketing director. (laughs) And from a marketing perspective, biodegradable is one thing. But if I'm getting ready to go play an important tennis match, that may not be the main focus for me that day. Talk about performance of the string.
5: We recently submitted Velocity Catalyst biodegradable string to the play testers at Racket Sports Industries Magazine, and they sent it out to, I believe, 50-plus players of all different levels and um, got them to test it, get their feedback, and what the play testers found was that it was a very durable string, very um, spin-friendly, and had really good control, so it received high marks from the players in all those areas yeah and we're doing uh buy one get
1: two free sets at the original retail price just as an introductory offer so if you try it out you buy one set and you get two extra ones for either you or your friends get three for the price of one you can't beat that the website is velocitytennis.com this is velocity v-e-l-o-c-i-t-i thanks for being on with us you guys good luck with everything
0: Tennis Travel Fanatics, Sarah Z here for Tennis Channel Podcast Network, reminding you to get to the 2023 BNP Paribas Open, held at the spectacular Indian Wells Garden on your destination list. The BNP Paribas Open is wonderful in terms of the type of tennis that's available. The venue is spectacular. I have been to Wimbledon. I have been to the French Open. I have been to the U.S. Open. By far and away, Indian Wells, that is tennis in paradise, hands down. Tickets are hard to come by and they go fast. So you can go to BMPPerryBawOpen.com and get your tickets today. Like I said, they go fast and it is a place that you want to be and an event you will not want to miss. Tennis in Paradise, it is not just an expression, it is a reality.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Kickserveradio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Matts VLander, Johnny Levine. I'm Andy Zoden. Thank you, Philip Farmer. You made an interesting point, Matts, when we were on the break, that you wished that we would have asked Philip about whether or not John Isner can still potentially come all the way back and even improve to the extent of being a threat to win a major. I'd like to hear your thoughts on on that answer?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there are less and less guys that understand what John Isner brings to the table. Uh, there are very few, obviously, players. Ivo Kalovic is not playing anymore. Um, yes, Nick Kyrgios is up there with a great serve and not as good as John Isner. But it, to me, it seems that, that John has done, he, he does. So well in America in the big tur- in the tournaments and anybody's won Atlanta like four times. Uh, now Dallas. So whenever he's at home, he plays his best. So for me, it's you know if John Isner is not in the draw and the winner of a major doesn't get to play John Isner, for me, when I walk away, it's nearly like, whoa, yeah, but hold on a second. What would you? What would Novak have done against John Isner? Of course, Maxime Cressy is out there, it's kind of similar thing. But to me, John Isner is improving so much. Uh, All the time, he's understanding what he brings to the table. And I'm kind of hoping to not just have Isner back the way that he was, maybe even be less consistent, but more dangerous in the majors. I know three out of five is tough with that frame of his. But, I mean, that style of tennis, if he can become more and more aggressive, I don't see why. I mean, has he underachieved slightly in the majors? Maybe you would say he made the semis uh, of Wimbledon, of course, an unbelievable match with Kevin Anderson. Uh, But I would like to see him, um, you know, push these guys and and sort of take a chunk out of the winner, whether it's Djokovic or Akaraz or Nadal. I mean, if you go through John Isner, he's going to do everything to, to get your confidence down. That's what I'm interested in. I've seen John play so many great Davis Cup matches and matches on tour, still kind of waiting to see him play his absolute best in, in maybe the major that would suit him the best, which is maybe the U.S. Open. But, but I would like to see John Isner uh, do, um, do well in a major again. I think he can, and I think he's such a nightmare, more so now than he was 10 years ago.
1: Johnny, what we saw, and I know you saw the third set against Wu, is we saw a guy that was... I mean, I'm being a. This is going to come across as harsh, and I don't mean to, because I'm a big John Isner fan as well. But, but this was a jackrabbit against a giraffe. When you looked at these two guys moving around the court, and John looked worn out for. The, you know, the process in just getting to that final. And then he's down a set point, but he wins a tiebreaker in the first. He's up a match point, but he lets a tiebreaker get away in the second. And then you got this woo running around, I mean, and and, and John kind of loping around a little bit. I mean, isn't it a matter of being a little bit out, you know, outmoved by these other players? He's certainly not going to be out served. And now we're starting to talk about, best of five set matches when we talk about majors which is which is where matt's vlander excelled because he could grind a big guy down isn't that what isner is susceptible to is being ground down by the modern day vlander that's yeah, you know what you made a good point at the end there andy
4: you can't be serious man but I, I gotta tell you i i really am on the same page with Mats. i mean what you're dealing with with isner especially like in the dallas open indoors that that you, you, you're dealing with a guy that's got the, by far, in my opinion, the best serve in the history of the game. And I know many people will will agree with that, that are in the sport, that, that have played against them, that have coached, you know, that are coaches. This guy's serve, there's never been anything like it. it. It is absolutely unreturnable. And the first serve percentage, I'd like to see it because I believe it's above 70%. And he's got a huge forehand. OK, his backhand is steady. He can volley. His movement yesterday was some of the best I've ever seen. So can the guy win a slam? And then, you know, you would think so. But but then, Andy, you're, to your point, can his body last? Can he physically last the, the, the five-set matches? Uh, maybe a couple, but through a whole tournament at a Grand Slam, I think that's where he's going to run into the problems. But he's going to be a threat into his 40s, too, with that kind, with that serve, he's a tremendous athlete too. he was a great basketball player. Um, this guy is an anomaly in tennis, and it's it's. I mean, now a lot of people don't think he's maybe the funnest guy to watch as a two point tennis, but yesterday's match changed that for me. I mean, that was an epic final, and it was a lot of fun to watch.
1: Okay, so that being said, Matts, as we as we look forward, who has the better outlook on on winning a major championship stylistically the john isner type and i say the john isner type well there's one of them well there's two of them there's opelka there was Karlovic. there are guys that really rely on the serve and or at least the serve plus one and then you've got your guys like the woos and the Demonars, and these guys that are just these little spurt speed merchants around the court that just get everything back and 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 make you grind i guess you could have said schwartzman at one time was one of those guys he looks like he has taken a a step or two back at a minimum but as we look forward to the american game and you see tfo who lost to wolf and you see fritz who lost to Wu, and now that we've gone through australia and now just a little bit of a sneak peek with dallas where are the american men in your mind and, and who are the guys that we really think are the ones to is it Ben Shelton? Is it Tommy Paul? I mean, who who is it now?
3: Yeah, I mean, I would have said before the Australian Open, I would have most probably said Taylor Fritz because I think Taylor can keep it going for seven matches in a row. He's physically strong enough. Uh, he's dictating most points. It doesn't matter who he plays against. I think he moves well enough these days because he's aggressive. Um, And I can see him making improvements, coming to the net a little more, learning how to slice a backhand and just mixing it up just once in a while. Whereas with John, I don't necessarily see that he's going to improve his tennis. But maybe for him, where can he improve is maybe pick pick the time, when it he come to the net? And it's more tactical with John Isner than it is technical and with Taylor Fritz and Francis Tiafoe and Ben Shelton. I mean, there's still a lot of uh, technical things that they can improve and, and mostly it's volleying and hitting slice back ends and mixing it up. So uh, it, it's hard to say that John Isner is going to keep improving his tennis at, at his age. But I think that he can most probably always improve uh, tactically. And sometimes you have to be lucky. He was unlucky, I thought, last Sunday. He was doing things tactically that just didn't work out. But I think he's doing the right thing. But uh, with the Americans, I think it's huge for them to have John Isner back because he is sort of a big brother figure to all these guys. And he's hung in there and he's, what, 10 years older than most of these guys that are coming up. And that's so important for them to have him maybe part of the Davis Cup, be in the locker room, someone to, to practice with, return the serve and, And just to uh, understand what it is that John Isner thinks when he thinks tennis compared to what a thinks or Taylor Fritz. But so I think that he's huge for American tennis. And I think it can only help them, the younger guys, to have John Isner back. It's going to help tremendously, I believe.
1: So, Johnny, you know, one of the things that we talked about in the last show was great champions are made of guys that, hate to lose and we talked about how you and and matt in particular both hated to lose and in fact uh, a microcosm of that was that you hated making errors but now i watch jj wolf and i'm thinking to myself okay it's not just guys that hate to lose it's guys that have just the superior level of belief in themselves whether it's justified or not, and now I'm starting to look at, at both of those with my own coaching and what kind of advice I'm going to give a teenage kid, and I've been talking about hating to lose, hating to make errors, this, that, and the other, but now I watch J.J. Wolf, and he doesn't look like he plays that way at all. It's more of a belief thing and probably a level of belief that I would expect you wish you had in yourself the way this kid does.
4: Yeah, you got to have the belief, and um, you know, a little bit of air to you and cockiness is actually a good thing, and I think it helps guys. And I think guys that that don't think too much out there, you know, they don't get their their head swirling about different things, have, have uh, better success as well. Um, you know, JJ Wolf is as competitive of, of a guy as I've seen. You know, we 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 talk about you know the American tennis, and I just you know one name that that got passed over there was Sebastian Corda. I mean, this is a guy I think that, um, we, we will see in the top 10 and, and, and I think he's got a, a great game and he, he plays a little differently out there. He doesn't seem to be, you know, like the JJ Wolf fighter, but he just, you know, is rock solid mentally. And I think he's going to continue to get better and better. And, so yeah, Andy, I mean the hate to lose thing, I I I don't I'm not so big on that as as much as I am. I'd rather see the confidence and the and and the fight and and the will to win uh more than being afraid, you know, want not wanting to, to lose. I, I think that these young Americans are doing a great job in that in that category.
1: Mass, when you talk about Corda, then you go on the other side of the spectrum and you look at a guy like Kyrgios. I mean, could you have two more polar opposite guys in terms of the way they present themselves on the court and you look at the hate to lose versus the belief thing like how do you psychoanalyze what curios is made of when you take those two things and try to put them together in curios's head
3: well i mean nick is a tough is a tough one to call because i think that uh we always say that he's so talented and he's got great hands and obviously the serb i mean often you're kind of born with a serve or not, depending on the motion that you start off with. And I say that someone like Pete Sampras or Nick Curious, they kind of, that's how they started out. And then they got great hands and they're talented and they understand the serving part. But I do feel like Nick Curious has a, uh, a, um, Tactics IQ that's really high that we don't talk about that much. Where he understands what he needs to do, whether it's it's the mental warfare or whether it's hitting the right shot at the right time, trying to make his opponent uh, come up with bad shots or making his opponent worse. So I agree with you, Johnny. About I rather have a guy like JJ Wolf that is out there and he and he has this will to win and he and he, he has so much confidence in his belief in his own effort level. I don't necessarily think that those players are are going out on court expecting to play great, but they're expecting to put up a great fight. Now, how do you take it further, I think, is when you look at Nadal and Djokovic and Murray, where they realize that I'm really not hitting that well, not playing that well, but I'm going to make my opponent worse. So for me, that's the next step for a Ben Shelton or a Francis Tiafoe. And of course, maybe more so, Taylor Fritz, where these they have to figure out the next level of tennis. It doesn't mean you have to improve certain shots, but you got to find ways to make your opponent worse when you're not playing great yourself. And I think that's what John Isner has figured out. His style does that. And some of the younger Americans, I think that's the, the uh, area where I think they can improve the most. It's one thing to hit big serves and big forehands. But Tommy Paul seems to have figured that out, and it's extremely good Tactically, and he's playing kind of within himself. And I think that's important to, uh, to play like you have a whole lot to lose and not nothing to lose and everything to win, because that doesn't usually produce a a great match in terms of the fighting spirit. So I think that's where they're going next. That's where they have to go. But I, Andy, want to give a shout out to you because you picked JJ Wolf. At about a year ago at the Phoenix Open. Johnny, at your tournament. And Arizona we had, Tennis
1: Classic, just to be clear.
3: Yeah, okay. Sorry, Arizona Tennis Classic. And he was on our show, and I knew who he was, mainly because of the haircut, but that I didn't mullet. really think that he's going to break through. And you were you liked him from the beginning. and I mean, how cool is it to see a guy like that who maybe you didn't expect to, to really break into sort of the top 50, 60 in the world that quickly. And he's doing it looks like he belongs, and everybody's rooting for him, even since he cut his mullet off.
1: Well, I was a big fan of Michael J. Fox and Teen Wolf, and it was a (laughs) similar kind of situation. So I'm going to just say J.J. Wolf is tennis's answer to Teen Wolf. Okay, I think we've kind of come up with, the, the really the three pillars of success it's you got to hate to lose you got to have that supreme level of belief and then match to your point that that incredibly high iq let's let's hold it for for a moment we'll go to break come back cuz there's a couple of players that i want to ask you about to see who's kind of uh you know got the most of each of those three um we want to talk about Phoenix, because what a week they just had with the waste management opening. My God, the Super Bowl as well. So, Johnny, you'll get to talk about what was going on in Phoenix last week when we come back on kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network.
0: Hi, guys. Sarah Z here with a Kick Serve Quick Serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say, more advanced or more experienced in our life, how about just body weight and body maintenance? That for me is becoming, I, th- I think, tougher by the day.
5: Boy, you're not alone. And along with our sports performance line, Body Fuse also offers a full weight loss line. And we have an, a fantastic product called Purify, which kickstarts your weight loss. It's a GI detox. It's a water cut as well. So it's really great for bloating, irregularity, um, and people love it to kickstart a weight loss program. And then with that, we couple a product called Blackwall Shredded, kind of a cool name. It's a daytime thermogenic um, and also has a nootropic in it. It's not super high stimulant, but it's just a, a good mental focus. And it just basically kickstarts your metabolic rate. So that's a daytime thermogenic. We also offer... Offer a nighttime thermogenic called Midnight Burn. And this has melatonin and GABA as well as a thermogenic. So it kind of continues that metabolic rate uh, bump, if you will. So these three products are are sort of like the magic trinity. I don't want to say magic pills because there's no such thing, but Midnight Burn at Night, Blackwell Shredded in the Day, Uh, And then Purify to kind of kickstart your system and clean out your GI tracts. And in addition, Purify, along with the detox, it allows us to start absorbing nutrients a little bit more efficiently as well. So those three products are just a fantastic trio and very, very popular. Fantastic. And one more time, BodyFuse.
0: BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse, And now, back to more Tennis Talk with the KickServe Radio Boys.
1: Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com final segment in the last segment. And that's v Johnny Levine, Andy Zod. And we were talking about really the, the three pillars of championship tennis, and it's, it's hating to lose, Jimmy Connors. It's supreme belief in yourself, Roger Federer. It is high IQ tennis that is off the charts. Let's go ahead and give it to Mats V. Lander. And so when we look at today's version of who has all three, Johnny, it's your boy. It's Novak Djokovic. I mean, here's a guy that is as high IQ as they come. We have seen him absolutely undress people in major finals. We have seen him just grind a, a guy into sawdust from the ground. And we've, we've just seen him st- storm around and strut around like a peacock. So, I mean, he's got all three. I mean, would you say that he is the ultimate version of these, these, these three ingredients of being a great champion above all else in tennis right now?
4: I do I, I 100% do you nailed it and I think the guy is uh, continues to feel like he has a lot to prove. He's after that total Grand Slam uh, number of Grand Slams and he's on a mission and his fitness level is you know maybe the best in the world. We all know the, the quality of his tennis. He's got every shot in the book. Um, his return is, is unbelievable. He serves big when he needs to, um, and I just, I think he is the guy to beat. Um, sometimes we know he can go off the rails a little bit mentally. We've seen it, but he's been very consistent lately, and guys are going to have to really step up to, to take him
1: out. Okay, Matts, who is the guy that hasn't necessarily showed it yet in, in all of its splendor, but you can see that those things are all there? I think Alcaraz has shown it. But the guy that hasn't broken through, but you go, ah, oh, this guy seems to believe in himself. He plays smart tennis. He just seems to hate to lose and hate. Who is that? Who's a little under the radar with that?
3: Well, I mean, I've I've always been very um, um, enthusiastic about Yannick Sinner. Yep. Um, and, of course, Yannick Sinner won uh, the tournament in Marseille, which is a great win for him. But I'm still kind of looking for him to – Uh, to show us a little bit more when it comes to – basically, though he's got the belief for sure. Does he he have the belief for sure? Well, not for sure because I haven't seen the other side, which is the show me a little bit of aggravation, like get a little bit angry, get a little bit in your opponent's face. Hey, I'm playing horribly, but I'm still in it, but I'm coming after you. A little bit more of what Novak does. And, of course, you want to see Yannick Sinner – do a few more things with a tennis ball. Uh and whether that's tennis IQ or it's down to technique on the slice back and on the volleys some. And- maybe serving and balling, and I'm not talking about doing it often, but just once in a while. I like to see him because I'm a little bit afraid that he's not going to break out of the, the position that he's in right now. He's going to be top 10. He's going to be winning tournaments. But to win seven matches, you're going to play a couple of horrible matches along the way. and You've got to figure out a way to make your opponent worse and play an uncomfortable style of tactical tennis but it is the right thing to do today because of the way i feel. and i haven't seen him do that i think you're spot on with alcaraz unbelievable i think holger Rune brings most of that he definitely brings the belief part that's for sure the hate to lose part that's even more for sure uh and then maybe the iq of not being too passive on big points at the australian open um in his loss there but out of the Americans, I mean, I would love to see Sebastian Corda give us a little more. He's not 18 anymore. Uh, I believe he's he's 22, 23. I, I'd like to see him a little more fired up, not for himself. But for the crowd and for his opponent to, whoa, whoa, like where is Sebastian going? I'm here too. That's what you, you want to see from these guys. And you can do that in a nice way like Rafa Nadal does, like Carlos Alcaraz does. But not everybody gets that balance right. And Novak, I think, has figured out how that balance needs to work. And, and he's, he, he is the perfect tennis player today.
1: And that's why I cut you off on Sinner was because, to me, if he had the belief to the level that we're talking about here, he beats Alcaraz at the U.S. Open. Right. Because he's up two sets to one and a break in the fourth, and somehow he lets that get away. And to me, that was a belief thing between the two. Johnny, who's your guy that we haven't seen it from yet, but you can see the ingredients are there?
4: I am going with Felix Auger-Aliassime. I think this is a guy... Uh, has been as high as six in the world. He's only 22 years old. He's currently eight. He does have some points to defend soon, but guy's got an enormous forehand and just a real, real solid game. Um, I think. I think he's got some maturing to do still. Uh, I think this kid is 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 destined to be number one in the world and and win a slam. So that's my guy.
1: Okay, Um, and then, Johnny, back to you real quickly, because you had the the waste management there, which is maybe the most fun golf to watch outside of a major. It's just absolutely. But the Super Bowl and and I know the guys were running from the golf to the Super Bowl. But one of the things that I found interesting about the Super Bowl was during the commercials, which is in some cases the best part, although this was a great game until the very end of the holding call. But I'm not going to digress. But Serena Williams shows up a couple of times on commercials so what does that say about her standing and does that give the sport of tennis a little bit of a shot in the arm to have that kind of representation i think it does yeah
4: i mean it's great for tennis and you know serena's still out there and we can all she's got a lot of a lot, big fan base and i think people were excited maybe they're uh expecting her to get back on tour but i don't think we're going to see that i think i think those days are over but we never know, but she she's definitely got the charisma, and hopefully we'll see more of her, uh, whether it be you know in commercials or maybe back on the court. Who knows?
1: All right, Matt's last word for you: the best blend of of hating to lose, big time belief, high IQ tennis on the women's tour today. It's, it was Iga Swiatek hands down, but now it. That's an open question, I think, is it not?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put uh, 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 Serena away completely when you're talking about those three things, because that's what she has. Other than she's not playing. Otherwise, other than she's not playing. And I love that she, now, not in a bad way or a good way, but that she actually goes out and does a beer commercial. That's like, oh my, God, Serena Williams, that's so cool in a way. Not that I support that that people are going to have to drink a bunch of beer. But I think that was a great move for her uh, and for the brand that is Serena Williams. I'm not really sure. I think that uh, the one that stands out to me is Irina Sabalenka. Okay. I think Sabalenka has... She, she walks around like she believes. Um, she has uh, the right amount of fire uh, in her eyes and in her body language. And I think that she's playing a little tactically a little more correct, especially on bigger points, even though she's always going to go for it. But to me, she's the big unknown right now. She's 1-1. And I mean, the way she plays, I don't see why she shouldn't win another three or four majors. But at the same time, we also know how hard it is and how good Iga Swantek uh, has been playing. But to me, it's, it's kind of Sabalenka. And that's only because Iga Swantek at the straight open seemed like she was a bit down on herself. And she actually brought up the point we're talking about, which was she was playing to not lose rather than go out and win. And I think the important part there is, yes, some days you go out to play to win. Some days you go out to play and not to lose. I think that's a balance you have to try and, and get right. And for me, Sabalenka, with what she overcame with the Serb, I think that she's the one that's carrying that torch right now in the women's tour.
1: If it's, if it's up to me, I think I'm I'm going with... Our current Wimbledon champion and our current Australian Open runner-up. I really love this Elena Rybakina. I, I just think that she displays everything. If you're a coach and you're you are, you can't wipe the smile off my face if that's my player and I'm watching her go out and conduct herself that way with Sabalenka. And I saw some things with Isner that that reminded me of each other. And that was that. When the opportunity was there, and you've talked about this, match and this is really something that sparked something in me to think about, was that Isner missed a handful of returns off of second serves. They weren't match points, but they were veritable match points because they would have put him up a break in that set. And he smacked a few forehands wildly where if he had gone for a big target and, and been a little bit more satisfied to grind, and you had made the comment that there's lots of different ways that you're affected by being tight. Sometimes it's by barely being able to swing your racket and rolling the ball deep and just hitting the ball in the court. And other times it's just absolutely swinging for the fences and coming out of your shoes. I saw that from Isner against Wu one or two, too many times. I saw it from Sabalenka so many times, and I was so happy to see her you know land some of those big punches when she needed to most to get that first major now that she's done so i think to your point maybe this is now the time where she's going to be able to take that that big slugger's mentality and blend it with a high iq player that's maybe doesn't hate losing but hates making errors and i think that would i think that would serve her well was that a fair assessment
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that actually that's what Novak Djokovic is doing these days. He's deciding what's going to happen in the point. But I think the difference between a Novak at the Australian Open and, of course, John Isner hasn't played that many matches. But the difference, I think, is that Novak decides before, Okay, I'm going to go for this return. But he's not going to go for it unless it's in his strike zone. And I think with Isner, to your point, Andy, he decided to go for certain things. But some of them, it seemed like, oh, yeah, but can you go for one that's not in your strike zone? It's not enough to just decide, I'm going to take the racket out of my opponent's hand and I'm coming to the net no matter what my approach looks like. And I think that's what I mean with John. What's the next step forward is to have that mentality. But then you got to make a, a decision – Yes, but can I do that off of this second serve? Because it was a better second serve than I expected, and I think that's where where most probably where is can improve. Where everybody can always improve, but Novak's taking that to the next level. He's is uh, pedal to the metal, but not if it's not in a comfort zone where he can actually get a good strike. John, maybe. Panicked a little bit on certain points, and he could have won it in two sets because at 5-4 second set, he actually had a, a good chance. I think he was up love 30, yeah. uh, and he missed one of those forehands. And again, he went for it, so it's all good. But could, should he have held back because it wasn't quite there to be hit for a winner, then he decides to go for it anyway. I, it's hard to say, but Novak is perfecting that very much.
1: Well, Novak Djokovic, 22 majors and counting. John Isner. No major championships, but still going strong on the tour at 37. So, so God bless him. Johnny, we are excited about the Arizona Tennis Classic, and we will leave it at that now because we know that your player field will be announced soon. And maybe by the next show, we'll be able to tell people about uh the talent level because it's it's always been good. We watched Berrettini win in 2019. We watched Dennis Kudla. Uh, win the singles and the doubles last year so it's going to be a great field that much is guaranteed it's at the phoenix country club arizonatennisclassic.com still tickets available and it is an intimate beautiful venue and like tennis in paradise this is just a continuation of it because the weather and the venue are spectacular johnny runs a first class show matt's will be down there i'll be down there it'll be a great time so come down to arizona if you can't make it to indian wells come anyway for Andy Zoden, Matt's VLander, Johnny Levine, this is KickServeRadio.com. We are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and we certainly hope to see you in the desert.